0: welcome to the bold speak podcast i'm anthony Creedon. today in the podcast pastor gabe casper joins me once again as we cap off this series on defending hope discussing how hopelessness portrays a bad image of christians and how that might be a big reason why many people don't like us very much and on any questions gabe and i discuss bands that in our minds should have been bigger than they were who knows you might find a musical gem that you've yet to discover all that right now as we give them the bold speak Thanks for joining us for the Bold Speak podcast. Uh, Glad you can be with us as we continue this series on defending hope today, talking uh, about the context of hope within uh, the way that the world perceives the Christian church. Um, Looking at uh, specifically um, 1 Peter 3 verses 16 to 17, which is really the capstone of a lot of the things we have been talking about in the end of the specific verses we've been covering in this series. Uh, Join with me uh, is my good friend, Gabe Casper. Welcome, Gabe. Hey, thanks, Tony. Great to be with you today. Yeah, great to have you. Um, Gabe is the pastor at University Lutheran Chapel here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Works with students uh, quite frequently, as well as lots of other people. And you all it's a really great, really great church. I mean, I, w- my wife and I have been attending, yeah, yeah. so uh, we uh, we're particular fans. But um, lots of lots of people, lots of diversity yeah. um, within that community, and really a great place to to serve. I feel like it's a great place to worship. So, well, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. Love, love being there myself. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so Gabe's here helping us sort of finish this off. This is really the capstone uh, section that we're going to be discussing uh, with defending hope, and this kind of ends the verse section. And then we're going to come together probably sometime after Easter and have a, a roundtable discussion with all the guests who have been a part of this series and really talk about you know how, how do we have hope uh, in the midst of kind of the world around us? But today we're dealing with um, the the blog post that was was put up on the Bold Speak website, uh, which was the one where people don't like Christians, and and this is a reference to. Uh, a a Friends episode that we're going to talk about here in a bit. Um, But it it really is discussing kind of how the world views the Christian church, uh, specifically in regard to hope and how hopelessness can sometimes lead to, I think, a poor showing um, on behalf of on behalf of Christianity. So before we get too far here, we're going to go ahead and read this section from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. Uh, Again, as always, this is the English Standard Version of the Bible, and it says this. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right. So um, looking at this and, and thinking through sort of how the, the world perceives us um, as the Christian church, the first question I want to jump into is yeah. what, what is your perception of the way you think the secular world views Christians today? Just broad strokes. Where do you think the Christian church stands amongst uh, the, the non-Christian world?
1: Yeah, I think there's uh, a couple things we want to we want to factor in here, right? So, so first of all, recognizing our specific context in the states uh, is probably more what I'm going to speak to because it's what sure. I know and I'm familiar with. Um, so, with that in mind, I I think there's there's generally let's let's say two schools of thought. There, there's one that kind of uh, you know to me, I think the the best example to use another sitcom uh, would be like Angela from The Office, sure. uh, right? So sure, like sure. she's uh, which is. I love that show but her character is <laughs> right. always frustrated me because right. she's like the you know the conservative christian or whatever and she's Crude, like the most pretentious. hateable yeah, yeah, yeah person yeah. you like you are on the show right and so i think there's that sort of understanding of like ah oh, there's those sort of like moralistic people and they're just sort of cold and indifferent sure. and they're just kind of the la- and they're not fun and not right, warm right, there's right, right, kind right, of right. The last people want to hang so i think that's one uh and to be honest i think that that one's a bit preferable to to maybe what the other one is sure uh actually i'm gonna give three so then to the second one uh because i don't want them to all necessarily be bad because i don't think they're all bad but the second one would be uh in fact that you know it used to be you know tony you and i are are somewhat similar in age although you've you've got a couple of years on me but uh, but um you know like even even when i was growing up in in high school like i was really you know big in the punk scene i think we talked about that in previous episode but Mm -hmm. um you know, my friends. A lot of my friends weren't Christians, sure, uh, but you know, they they had a certain uh, respect. Like, oh, you know, Gabe's not going to swear as much. Uh, you right, know, right, he's, right. he's not going to sleep with his girlfriend. He's not going to drink. You know, I right, right. And while they like thought it was a little bit weird, there was this sort of like, but oh, we get it. That's the moral sure, thing sure, sure. to do. Good for you. What I think, unfortunately, we're seeing shift is is Christians are are not. Are in some ways viewed as the immoral in culture. So so it's not oh, just okay. like oh, and in particular as it relates to sexual ethics, which we're not talking about today, but that generally seems in many ways to be the sticking point, and and so it's gone from being um, oh yeah they're a little prudish like that that does exist in some segments, right. but then in other segments it's like no they're repressive and oppressive right. and backwards, and right. so that's they're they're immoral now. Right. Um, so those are two. The third one, though, and and this has been actually a very pleasant surprise, uh, at least for me, as I I study philosophy at a secular university, and really most of my classmates and my professors are are not Christians, but they they know I am. uh, They really, at least as far as I can tell, don't view me with either one of those things. And it's more this kind of uh, uh, almost fascination, like this curiosity uh, in a good way. And And it's not like I'm anything special, but just kind of like, how are you still this right. you know right? right 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 uh and and i think there's a actually a sizable portion of of let's the secular world that views christians that way as well where it's right. maybe not quite as uh oh they're judgmental or oh they're immoral it's more like oh i didn't even know there were still christians i mean i was talking right. with marcus our, our campus pastor at ulc who you know as well episodes, yeah yeah and he's talking about you know in seattle he was like he would just be the sort of token Christian they would just ah, be like well, "Right, this guy like, right, right, that was the thing you right, know right, right. and so it kind of depends a little bit where you are in the country which socio-demographic you're with that also happens to be not Christian I think how they're sure. viewed
0: so yeah no I I think those are rather excellent portraits of I would say largely how a secular world views us and you know the first one you brought up Angela which I think is a great example because a lot of times that kind of um, overly pious mentality yeah it typically accompanies uh, a a backstory like it does with Angelo where there, there is uh, some sin there um, and some compensation. I think the world looks at that and assumes that like if, if you're a really pious person, there's some some skeletons you in the closet. Yep, there's there's right. some demons there. That's right. Um, and and so that's I think a large perception with that. You know, on the other end, yeah, I, I think many times the the secular world sees us as bullies. And, yep. and I think many yeah, times so we, put it. we carry ourselves as, yes. as bullies. Um, yeah. You know, we, it's hard sometimes when you believe so passionately about something yes. um, to 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 make sure you're paying attention to how you're saying something as much as what you're saying. Um. And, and sometimes we can lose ourselves there. And, yes. and I think that. Is a very common one. The you know the 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 last ones you mentioned there almost makes me think of like those nature shows where it's like, yeah, there's 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 a Christian. Yes. Try not to scare it. What's um, he doing? Yeah, <laughs> we, eating if, bread and drinking <laughs> wine. What's right. going on there? Sorry. If we sit really still and open a Bible, maybe he'll come over. Yes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. It, it really is this kind of odd specimen. Uh, yeah. and and yeah, that's that's fascinating. I uh, you know, I, not having been in a lot of kind of fully academic circles yeah. uh, in a. while like you've been, that's, uh, that's interesting, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it, that's a nice place to be, to be honest. It, it, no, you, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I sure. Cause I imagine it, it garners a sense of curiosity that you're able to be like, well, let me tell you a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you're curious, I can, I can tell you how I you know can resolve these things that you think I shouldn't be able to resolve. Right. Um, exactly. which is, yeah, sometimes a good place to be. So, uh, uh, kind of all that being said, uh, uh, you know, a big portion of this, um, this kind of concept really kind of came to me as, as, uh, I was I was watching Friends and yeah. doing the whole Friendsgiving thing, um, which is uh, you know a, 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 an annual uh, thing for for my wife and I. Um, but there's this episode where it, real quick, do yeah. you have a favorite Friendsgiving episode? Oh my gosh! Um, you I know, know this is your podcast uh, you and know, you're supposed <laughs> to ask the questions, but uh. no, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I I, w- I would say probably this one, probably oh, really? the one okay. where yeah, where or Chandler doesn't like dogs, uh, mostly because it's it's got one of my wife and I's favorite lines and in the whole show um which is where phoebe's about she's walking out the door and she has the dog in the bag um and they ask her what's what's in the bag and she goes it's it's my knitting and then the the dog's head pops up (laughs) and she just looks at the dog and she goes yes i knit this i'm very good (laughs) yeah so i'm um, very (laughs) very good um but yeah, this one's a great one. Um, the the Geller Cup one is. I mean, Geller is, Cup. That's my I'm yeah. Like, Geller Cup's great. Um, what's the one
1: where the turkey gets on uh, Joey's head
0: uh, or Rachel's head or wh- both? Uh, yeah. Well, so it's it, well, it's on Monica's head at the end. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, there. I don't remember which which episode in particular that one's. I, I do. I do know the 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 one that i i really love and probably a close second uh to the one where chandler doesn't like dogs is the one where um where uh ross and monica's parents come for thanksgiving yes yeah and and they don't know that chandler is dating monica and they hate chandler because they think he was smoking pot in ross's room so it's one where all the confessions Everybody kind of confessed. Oh, yeah, man. So yeah. So, so Phoebe has a thing for Jacques Cousteau and then Mr. Geller. It's yeah, yeah it's, it's, good. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Anyway. Okay. Let's right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get too far derailed. But um, right, right. but yeah, so uh, a lot of it uh, kind of came from this episode as I was I was watching it. I was kind of thinking through a lot of the, the series and. And really was fascinated with the the way that all the friends responded when Chandler finally admits that he doesn't like dogs. Yeah. And there's this like shock because it's like, how how can you not like dogs? Yeah. Right? Everybody loves dogs. and and I I wish. That was the case with Christianity. Yeah. I, I wish that people would sort of look at the Christian church and think to themselves, "How can you hate those guys?" Yeah. So we're, we're the like, dogs in your uh, analogy. Yes, yes, okay, yeah, I'm just we're, tracking. we're okay, Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we are the dogs. Okay, um, but yeah, how, you know, people sort of looking and saying, you know, how how is it that you can look at the Christian church and, and the way that they care themselves and the things they do and the, the way they love people and the way that whatever and say that you hate them? Like it's 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 that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. I, I do think, however, it, it it that's where it is. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it surprises anyone that that really the Christian Church kind of gets a a bad name in many respects from yeah. the secular world. So, um, you know, that being said, I you know, with the the ways that that we just discussed and the ways that you pointed out that the secular world kind of views Christianity, yeah. how do you figure? How do you think that hopelessness kind of factors into that?
1: Yeah. Um, let me. Two things one actually is as, as you were talking I, I was thinking uh a little bit about actually the difference between perceptions of christians and perceptions of mormons because oh, yeah i think oftentimes you know like the book of Mormon musical that was written by the the south park guys you know they like dunk on mormons the whole time yeah but the underlying thing is but man these people are so nice man right. they're so nice right? right like so it's like this continuous theme and like that ends up being a kind of common theme with mormons like and some of what they believe seems really weird. Right. Like, boy, you can't argue that they're right. nice, they're right? They're crazy, but they're kind. Right. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah. why don't we have that? Right. Uh, yeah. And, right. So right. To, to answer your real question, though, about like hopelessness and how that maybe factors in here. So I I think, you know, one of the things is, is you and you and I were talking a little bit pre-show is, is you would expect, you know, someone who who doesn't. Share the Christian hope where, where we believe that, uh, you know, God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Right. That we believe that no matter what happens, no matter how dark things are, uh, that God is at work redeeming and restoring and reconciling all things, and that one day King Jesus will return and set right. the world right once for all. So we, so, we have this great eternal hope, uh, that, that darkness doesn't get the final say, that, right. that Easter wins, you know. Right. Uh, and yet, uh, there's this hypocrisy in a lot of us and myself included that that seems to not live into that hope well. And so I think the world, the secular world, if you will, picks up on that. Um, and so it, the, the question is like, if you actually believe this, why don't you demonstrate it? And so right. a, a couple of things like that play off in my head, like I think it's maybe two things. I think two general reactions that we give off in the midst of hopelessness that ends up creating this sort of like, well, do Christians really believe what they're saying? One is is fear that mm-hmm. I think Christians oftentimes capitulate to fear, um, and it's fear of losing cultural power. Sure. it's fear of uh, I mean of some legitimate fears maybe as well. You know whatever else. And so in fear they we live in a sort of defensive posture. Yeah, o- uh, oftentimes in, a, right. in in the world, and when you're in a defensive posture like that, it's it's just not attractive. And so right. you, you constantly right. look like you're just you constantly if you feel like you're backed into a corner you all you want to do is fight and right, right. like that's just not that helpful i mean it's not there aren't things worth defending like, no, no, no no yeah but, uh, uh, right exactly right.
0: exactly but it just it comes across standoffish right, in, exactly. in many ways um, exactly. and yeah you can you can always tell when people are in a kind of consistent uh, fight or flight sort of mentality and they're always looking for something to key off on yes um, and so I, it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying is people exactly. sort of see christians as constantly in that fight mode yes exactly exactly and then yeah and then the the maybe the other side of that and
1: this is probably where I'm more guilty is the like uh cynicism uh, sure. where and it, yeah. and it's and yeah, it's a yeah. cynicism that's born out of not wanting to look like a sentimental dope right like i i it's like i don't want to ever be too sentimental too sincere too fluffy so so i always kind of be a little bit cynical a little bit dark a little bit like and, and I'm just realizing that myself, I'm like, man, that's actually not godly. Um, <laughs> <you> know, t- <laughs> yeah, turns yeah. out. Um, and so, yeah, and I, and I think in some ways, so, so on the one hand, Christians who feel backed in the corner will fight, um, and that's not very hope-filled and not very attractive. And then right. on the other hand, Christians who may feel backed in the corner may not, instead of just living freely in the hope we have in Christ, we end up sort of capitulating to a worldly sort of cynicism Sure. Uh, and so then that doesn't seem that different and it's like well why are you talking about all this stuff that right none of us really care about anymore right and you're just as you know, cynical as the rest of us.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. you know, and it's, it's something that, that Marcus and I talked about a couple episodes ago, You know, with the do-gooder principle and this, this idea that, you know, the, the, the term do-gooder is really, it connotates a, a sense of naivete. Like yeah. you just, you, you know, that that's cute. You, you know, you want to change the world. You think that we should be hopeful. Like that's adorable, but that's not real. And, right. and so there's this yes. pressure um, from society to be like, okay, but when you grow up and see how crappy things really are, yes. um, then then we'll be okay yeah. um, and, and, and in some ways I, I, I think it, yeah, maybe there's been this I, I think there was a long time where Christianity was really perceived as sort of being flighty, yeah. right? Like everything will be fine, it'll be great and not really being honest and real about the, the struggles and the real difficulties of the world i think in some ways we've we've you know swung that pendulum yes. a little too far the other direction yep. um you know we're we're trying to be more woke than the next woke and and right. you know what i mean and it's it's like well i gotta you know jump on board with this uh, you know like you said the cynicism um and and kind of allow that that darkness to to creep in a little bit and uh, yeah, I, I think it's, that's a that's a struggle, and and uh, and to recognize it for what it is. I, yeah. I think that's kind of sin pushing us yeah. in in a, in a direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's like, yeah, because it was, you know, for
0: so long it was like,
1: uh, we, the the pendulum swung on like, hey, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, like, right, you right know, right, hang right. that up in your house, like, right, you right. Know? And like, and we kind of started to be like, well, is that really what it's saying? And I mean, that's just one verse, but but like, is right, right. that that really was about? It. And then it was kind of like. Well, no, I mean, like you know, theology of the cross, suffering, like right. you know, and it was kind of then this sort of almost like masochistic, right. like, like right. Uh, how can I suffer more and see more darkness in the world, right? Um, right. And and then hope and joy became these sort of like you just you're just
0: naive. And and we just don't ever want to be perceived as naive. Right. And and I do think, you know, I do think there is a a place for a a right balance. You know, I, you know, I still reflect on, um, one of my, it was my very first funeral that I ever did as a pastor. Yeah. And it was for a friend of mine that committed suicide. Oh gosh. That was your first one. That was my first funeral. And... Uh, I, I I began the sermon and, and this came out of me just kind of processing the grief of mm-hmm. what was going on. And I literally started the sermon and I just said, this sucks. Mm-hmm. And I just let it hang there. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, especially when it comes to things like death and stuff, I, I, I think it's important to allow that grief to have its place mm-hmm. and a sort of a general acknowledgement that you're not just moving past it you're not blasting through it to, yep. to you know to find this like hopeful upper echelon of emotions where it's like we're just going to pretend like you know this isn't really bad and and you know and then you hear a lot of the yep. you know well God had a plan for this and, and that's right. I, you know I think there's a lot of that 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 used to be that there's a sort of a counter for where we're saying no let's let death be death let's yep. let sin be sin yeah, um, and those things and I think it's, there's a place for that But there is a tendency sometimes, I think, to swing too far into that and allow ourselves to kind of dive deeper into those waters than maybe we should. Yeah. And and a lot of times what that creates is we sort of feed off that hopelessness. Yeah. And and I feel like when that happens, we start to lose our place in understanding how that changes. Yeah. Like we, we start to think to ourselves, right. Because Christ is the only way that change right. The gospel is the only thing that genuinely can change people's lives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and because of that, um, it's, it's sometimes a, a very difficult thing to think, communicate to the world yeah. and have them sort of buy it. Yeah. So we temper it. Yeah. With a little bit more cynicism, yep. a little bit more darkness than maybe should be, and then all of a sudden we get sucked into this hopelessness, and and eventually, uh, I, I think we start using our own thoughts, our own ideas, you know, political systems. We allow those to kind of be yep. the uh, the agents of change that we look to for the world to change, and we stop relying so much on Jesus, yeah, um, because I think that's just a hard sell. When I think you're right. I
1: mean, I think that's, and in fact, I think what you're getting at there actually touches on this tension. In terms of like communicating Christian hope, is hard uh, because we find ourselves caught between this trap between sentimentalism and cynicism. Right. Like it's like, and and so we we either jump to sentimentalism and these right. sort of
0: mm, trite hallmarkish trite yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. that
1: yeah. are you know, and or we jump to this like well this is a little bit too otherworldly for my non-Christian friends to grasp or whatever. And maybe it's just going to sound too weird to them. So I'll just sort of temper it a little bit. And, and so instead of like kind of the sweet spot in the middle, which is like, no, actually the hope of Christ does matter in these situations. It does matter in a friend who commits suicide. It does matter in a person who's lost their kid, you know, whatever, like that, that this directly speaks into that and we can be bold. (laughs) <laughs> right right right.
0: Well done. Um that's some product placement uh, if I've ever I'll heard take it. my commission uh, now. <laughs> that's right. Um yeah well you know and, and you say that and and I I I hear there what I think is uh, part of the trap there which is you can you can start to make this about a a, a sort of a battle of understanding. Yes. Right like Um, I I know the gospel doesn't make sense to you. So let me talk about things that will make sense Mm -hmm. to you. And I'll Mm kind of leave the gospel out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you know, when we, when we start to go there, I think we, again, we sort of lose a little bit of ourselves. And, and so, you know, that being said, I, when we, when we make that shift, when we move into that um, sort of battle of words or battle of understanding, how does that, in your mind and kind of what you've seen how does that portray christianity like what what does that put in front of people as like this is what the christian church is all about
1: yeah so when it when it comes to like the, a battle over thoughts like yeah, yeah, what yeah. does that put into to people's yeah, yeah. minds like if we we if we insist on it operating that way yeah. is that where, yeah mm-hmm. well so one is is i think it puts um legitimate Disagreement and perhaps legitimate argument. And I don't mean argument in terms of like having a fight, but argument in terms of let's say a philosophic argument or a sure. worldview argument about mm-hmm. how to see things. Right? Uh, is it treats it as as war instead of as dance? Right. Right. So so mm, these are, good. Those like are two analogy. metaphors that I like to work with. Yeah. Is yeah. Like, that's great. Uh, we we can have argument as war. We can have argument as dance. And and I think we oftentimes insist that it has to be war, mm-hmm. and then you have enemies that you have to fight. Um, whereas argument is dance can be like, all right, you're going to lead for a while. Okay. I'm going to lead for a while. You're like, and we, we, right. we sort of flow that way. And so that's me, I think is a big thing. And, and, and so how do I want to say this? I, I think that ends up being problematic with, with how we engage the world because it, again, like the world understands argument as war. Like mm-hmm. everyone understands argument yep. as war. Like yeah. you're my ideological enemy. I will now right. fight you right, right, and right. I will win. Right. Um, but argument is dance or, or engaging in conversations in ways that are disarming and winsome mm-hmm. and and present a healthy alternative in a way that isn't demeaning and crushing of, of someone else. Like, sure, that's people don't know what to do with that. Oh, Right. right. I mean, that's one of my favorite examples of this is uh, there's a debate between, you know, Richard Dawkins, new atheist. You right. Know, right. Guy, yep. Just, I don't know. Uh, at any rate, uh, going against uh, John Lennox, who's this mathematician, physicist at mm-hmm. Oxford, but but also yep. very strong Christian and yeah, yeah, really pretty robust theologically as well. Yeah. And uh, they had a debate on, I don't know, the existence of God or something. And uh, at the end of the debate, you know, they interviewed people like, hey, you know, what did you think? And they're like, yeah, I don't really know who won the debate, but it felt like Richard Dawkins was just beating up Santa Claus. And so... <laughs> So, <laughs> wow so, yeah so the point there being that like John Lennox is like was so winsome and loving and like it was meant to be a compliment to Lennox like sure. right yeah, Was yeah. was so winsome and loving and and gracious in his approach that it barely mattered uh right. his you know his his argument though he had a great argument yeah, sure, too sure, but sure. but and that matters too but, yes. but like but the, that to me is like always been my thought is to say like how how can we be that sort of thing oh sorry can i actually do one more anecdote too okay so because one of the other things i think about with this is like i you know like i'll I'll speak at at sort of uh pan lutheran events uh and uh i'll put it that way (laughs) right right. uh and uh and my goal is for people to not know where i fall because you know Yep. T- Tony, you and I as L.C.M.S. Lutherans, Lutherans are in a more theologically conservative sure. uh, tradition, yep. and and that can sometimes be seen as a little bit more stiff, a little bit more yep. cold, a bit yep, more yep, rigid. Yep. Whereas the L.C.A. Yep. is you know more liberal theologically, uh, but can sometimes be seen as really warm and cheery, and that's sort of right. Thing. Right. So my goal is for them to think. That I'm ELCA to be that loving right. that they, they right, assume right. I'm a mainline
0: Protestant, right? Right, are right.
1: surprised that that I'm you actually know, LCMS. LCMS, yeah. yeah. So like,
0: <laughs> right.
1: That's, that's the hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No.
0: I. Yeah. I think that. I think that's the key. I, you know. I, I. And I love your analogy there of the the war versus the dance thing. And and I think in particular because there's a a, a real tendency when you kind of move into this kind of battle over thoughts to to create enemies. Um, yeah, and and when you get there, um, it, it be, people end up being your enemies as you engage them, and they didn't know they were your enemy. Yes, and, right. and so th- they're thinking like maybe they were assuming a dance and got a war. Yes, and and that doesn't play well. That's right. Um, with with the secular world, yeah, it's it, bad th-
1: when we're initiating a exactly, war. exactly yeah. exactly when yeah. you
0: know when when they're expecting a conversation and and we come across as you know, like like it's our solemn task to, to defend the church. And, and I really do think that's where hopelessness kind of yes. uh really comes into play here because I, I do think a lot of a lot of Christians out there feel like it's their responsibility yes. to protect the church. Yes. And so Um, they're constantly on guard to look for opportunities where they have to defend and protect the church. And the problem is, is Peter doesn't tell us to be ready to defend the church. That's right. He tells us to be ready to defend hope. Yes. And so if we're lacking hope, but we've got all this information on the church, we've actually worked toward defending something that we were never asked to defend. That's, that's totally, I mean, it makes me think of,
1: uh, in his book uh, *Velvet Elvis*, Rob Bell, mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, he makes this distinction between like, you know, if you build your foundation out of bricks, you know, it's conceivable that you remove enough bricks and the thing falls apart. Where he's like, think he's like, and the analogy breaks down a little bit, but he's like, think about it a little bit more like a trampoline, where like you can take a spring off and you can move it around, and the trampoline's still going to do its thing. It's fine. Right. It's not going to crumble like a thing of bricks. It's going to be fine, and you can examine the the spring and you can place it back. You know, and, right, and it's right, fine. Right. And, and yeah. And I think to me, that's, that's always helped me conceive of like, I just, I want to defend hope, uh, but I don't have to win every battle. Uh, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay.
0: Right. You know, and, and, and I think that a lot of the focus then of the church's energy should be helping people to reclaim or maintain hope. More so than it is to be sort of prepared to defend on such and such of a yeah. philosophy or idea, yeah. where that can come into play after we've got the hope thing figured yes. out. Because yes. if if you're lacking hope going into those engagements, you just project war. Yep. Right. You 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 just you're you're looking to win. Yeah. Well, um. Could, so I was just as you were talking, I was thinking like I I pretty often
1: actually get emails or texts or whatever from people that they asked me this question uh pastor gabe do you think xyz insert right. whatever you want mm-hmm. uh is and this is a quote an existential threat to the church
0: right so that's, right. i get that
1: often right In right right existential meaning the existence, the of, the existence of the church. existence of the church yeah and and my response every single time is no, no, nothing yep. is an existential threat to the church. Flat no. Now, yep. like, the gates of hell will not prevail <laughs> right. against it. Right. And so it's like instilling that in the, now, is it a threat to how many people stay in the church to how it's perceived in the world, to our freedom of expression? Could be. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. And those things matter. But, yeah. but like, if I'm thinking this determines whether or not the church continues, well then I'm going to fight. Right. Um, but if I understand that nothing is an existential threat to the church, well, then I'm freed to be a little bit more gracious and a bit more of a dance than a war uh, right. as I dialogue with right.
0: people. And I, I really do think, and and this is what, uh, you know, the the major premise of this, what struck me and, and created this whole series was I really do think if we get our hope problem solved, mm-hmm. I think the rest can fall a whole lot more easily. Because, uh, you know, if, if you've got hope walking into that conversation, if you're looking at at what you're engaging in as a dance and not a war mm-hmm. because you feel like there's something you have to defend or something is being threatened or whatever because you carry the hope of Christ yeah. right i think that completely changes the way those conversations go yeah. and and changes the way that i think we as the church approach apologetics yeah. um we don't we don't really set people up for battle we yeah. set people up literally for a defense that when you are attacked mhm right you can defend it and you defend the, hope. the and, hope and that's and that's you know i think the the you know the the main thing that Peter's getting at yeah. is is this idea that when we carry that kind of hope with us, um, that hope that genuinely believes that the power of the gospel can change people's lives, yeah, um, in profound ways, yeah, right, turn persecutors of the of the church into their number one evangelist, yeah, um, right, can, you know, can can turn you know kings who have had adulterous affairs and and you know they turn them into powerful kings after God's own heart, yeah, the ability of of God's grace. His mercy and His forgiveness to genuinely change people, I, I think, is something that we have to work hard to to really reclaim, reclaim. our focus on. Yeah, um, totally. Because I, I I think there's there's a lack there. Yeah. I, I think we've sort of lost focus on the gospel and how it works. And, and so I guess you know that being said. How do we do that? <laughs> yeah. like, you know, what, what are the steps here? How do we go about reclaiming hope, um, and and in some ways, kind of reclaiming that focus of the church? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things.
1: Like one is is to be clear on what we hope for, mm. um, and and so I think you're tapping into uh, one thing that's really key there. One, we hope in the power of the gospel, right? right. So we do, you know, and and it is like to think. Um, Man, even this week, I, I got an email from a student who's like, actually had to take some hits for her Christian faith uh, sure. with a matter with her family. And she's mm. like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come out of this, you know, it seemed right. like da-da-da. She's like, will you pray with me? And you know, we prayed uh, for a couple days. She emailed me the other day, she's like, oh my gosh, my family, like they're they're transformed. Like they're being loving towards me again. Like right. things seem to be different. And, and she shared with me what she had communicated with them. And it was defending hope, if you will. Like right. she just sure. framed it just beautifully. Mm. And and to see the shift that that her explanation and articulation of the gospel brought in her family who are not believers hmm. was just so so powerful. So one, I think that the transforming power of yeah. the gospel, taking hope in that. Two, I I think is um, hope in in our expectations in this world. And and uh, and um, I'll put it this way: I I think sometimes we. Uh, as Christians and, and we all slip into this, I'm not staring down my nose at anyone. Sure. Uh, but, but we, we treat our faith as a sort of, uh, uh, we, we treat it as, as a sort of tool to help us get to where we want to go in life anyways. Right. right. So, so right, it's right. this sort of add on in life rather than saying, how is what I'm doing? How do I line that up into God's story? So rather right. than, yep. in, you know, then, um, letting God's story just kind of inform my life yeah. it actually becomes my life yeah right? alignment is right.
0: a is a huge thing huge yeah, huge, huge thing. thing
1: and so instead of my hope being about my career or my family or my mm-hmm. income or whatever which are fine things to have but they need to have within the place of God's story right sure. and so boom alright hope that way and then I would add though our eternal hope is actually really key in terms of I mean as you've been doing this series I just keep thinking I'm sure you're familiar with N.T. Wright's book Surprised by Hope Yeah, um, yep, yep. you know phenomenal book and and his whole thing really is uh, inaugurated eschatology, but but like you know, it's about uh,
0: um, <laughs> but to break uh, that I, I, down I, a little. I my uh, glasses <laughs> up here, but um,
1: but you know, but but the idea is that that we we live towards that future, we live right. towards that eternal kingdom, right? Uh, and that that's you know we're we're aimed towards that. And in some ways, and I want to be careful on this, but in some ways, we bring that future to the present, right? It's a present reality, mm-hmm. right? And so if. If I can view life that way and view eternity in minds, and mm-hmm. not as a disembodied evacuation type eternity, right, where I'm playing a right. harp on a cloud, right, right, but, but a real eternity in which God redeems and restores all things, right, uh, that shapes how I'm going to engage the world now in some pretty profound ways, and that's, um one of my favorite podcasts that unfortunately discontinued uh, was called Virtue in the Wasteland. I don't know if you're familiar with it, mm. but at any rate, uh, a couple dudes, and uh, their tagline at the end of every one of their shows was, um, in the end everything is going to be okay. Right. In the end, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. And that's actually true. Uh, you know, and, and that is actually our ultimate hope that in the end, everything is going to be okay. And, and so I think, man, if I, if I can grab hold of that, um, yeah. And, and let that shape how I engage the world now, uh, Hopefully that has a, a profound impact on my relationships and the life of the church.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I again, not to, we could probably nerd out on a lot of theological <laughs> terms, but the whole, the whole inaugurated eschatology thing, I think is is great. You know, it's it's something that um, I heard a professor say at seminary, and I don't, I don't remember where or when, but. Um, I, I remember this this moment where we were talking about uh, sort of the realities of eternity. And, and the statement was made that if, if you genuinely understand eternity to be what it is, that is to say um, that God created your life and will sustain your life for eternity, mm-hmm. that means that your eternity is right now. Right. right? Like you are living yes. in your eternity. Yeah. So that's a present reality for you. And to live as if that is a present reality is sometimes very difficult because we're so used to a temporal world. Yes. Right. The front-facing part of the world is very temporal. You know, it's it's the the, the back end. You know, the what's behind the scenes that we yep. understand to be eternal. That eventually, as Christ returns, will come and, and unify in, into one. But right you know, to, to live that way, to carry that kind of hope, to say that in the face of any tragedy, this is not the end, this will be okay, yep. um, because Christ has already overcome all of these things. That's that's easy to say. Yeah, it's very hard to live very hard um, because we seem to be bombarded so yep. often with with that, you know, kind of cynicism we talked about and 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 those sorts of things. So I, I, I you know, I appreciate those words and uh, kind of the encouragement to carry that hope with us and, and work hard. It's it's work, right? It's yep. it's difficult to, to carry that hope. But but to really do that, I think is pivotal.
1: Well, that makes me think, Uh,
0: you know, uh,
1: my sermon this past Sunday. uh. to to quote myself, Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I I shared just a very brief anecdote about, you know, there's Christians in North Korea right now, right. Right. Who like very oppressive state, you know, by anyone's standard and, and, uh, certainly not legal to be a Christian there. Right. And they're just gathering in these small secret groups. Yeah. Whispering worship songs in each other's ears. Right. Right. Like, because that's all they got, man. Right. Like they're not going to grow a Twitter platform. They're not <laughs> going to grow a megachurch. <laughs> right. right. You know, and you know, for many of them, their hope is just not going to be in this world. Like right. King John Un has a pretty solid grip on yep. uh, the the reign of that country yep. right now. It's probably not going to change in most of their lifetimes. Yep. Um, and if it does, it's going to be a bloody change. And so, like, yeah, there's not likely. like any sort of idealism that they right. they can fall prey to. All they have is this hope. Uh, of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ and what he's
0: going to do for them into eternity. right? But the gospel in, in their church has just as much impact yes. as the gospel at the mega church. Yes. Who that's is right. able to shout it from the rooftops. Right. And I think that's that's the key to grasp there in, in regard to hope is that That hope is in the gospel in whatever way, shape, or form that comes through. Yes. That gospel is still powerful in each of those moments. And and that's something that I think we as the church have to hold on to and genuinely live as if that is true. The gospel can genuinely change people's lives. It genuinely brings you into a relationship with God that... Is impactful, um, yeah. and and I, I think that's that's critical. Totally. Um, totally, you know, when it comes to hope, and and you know, again, this is kind of what we've been talking about this whole time. Is that's that's the hope we fight hard to defend. Yes. Um, Cause that's the, that's, that's the hope that changes people. That's, that's the hope. That's the focus of, of the church. Yeah. Um, so man, yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks for being on and, and yeah, being a part of this, so, you know, again, as we sort of close out, um, it's kind of the main sections of this and, and, you know, as I said before, we're going to be, um, getting a group together and we're going to, I think we're going to try to live stream this, um, over the, the bold speak Facebook page, um, so you can kind of connect there and we'll leave some time and space for people to ask questions and answer some questions and engage a little bit. Um, but we'll kind of tie this whole thing together and, and take a look at, you know, what are the things that we can do moving forward uh, to help people grasp hope and, and um, you know, how can we help people to learn to defend it and yeah. um, what it is. So look forward to that. Look forward to talking with you more uh, there. So thanks. Thanks, thanks very Tony. much for being I'm here. I'm excited, yeah. man. Good, yeah, good to yeah. be on. Yeah. Um, so all right. So making a transition here, we're going to uh, jump into a question. I, I have a question for you. That is, I, I, and this is going to be a little difficult for you, as it as it is for me, because um, we're both huge music buffs um, yeah. and and love music. Music's a major part of our lives. So um, we're going to get to a very, I think, interesting question um, musically on this edition of Any Questions. Okay, class. Any questions? Me, me. All right. So any questions here? The question I have for my esteemed guest, Gabe Casper, is this. And and again, this is going to be difficult. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. All right. Give me one band that you think should have been bigger. Like this band was really really good but maybe just ahead of its time or just didn't get enough uh you know opportunity or whatever but one band that you think man they they should have been bigger they should have been bigger all right
1: so that is very hard for me uh and i will say i mean first of all i do it's such like a i don't know weird hipster answer but like <laughs> uh a lot of the music i like is so extreme that it's hard for me to imagine them having main mainstream appeal sure, okay so sure, like sure. You know, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know. I think Amura should have been bigger. Or Norma Jean should have been uh, uh, bigger. But sure, it's sure. like, they're just never going to have broad. So, so so, the way I'm going to couch this is a band that I think could have had bigger, broader appeal. Gotcha. But didn't for whatever reason. Gotcha. Uh, and my answer is that I, but it's a band I really love. They're actually, I just, someone asked me for my top five bands and they're my number four. So, Ooh, wow. um, uh, and that band is Alkaline Trio.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Are you? You're familiar. I am okay. familiar with Chicago Alkaline based, Trio. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Trio, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, punk band, sort of pop punk bands, um, but not like. And this is the thing. This is, I think would hurt them. Hmm. Is like they came up, and I mean, obviously they're they're pretty big in the punk scene, but right, but right, in right. terms of main, you know, mainstream American, uh, sure, sure, like they weren't on the radio or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they came up during the pop punk explosion. But you know, when you have Blink One Eight Two, you have Green yep, Day, yep, You yep, Found yep, Glory, yep, yep. Good Charlotte, blah blah. Like those bands, though. But they, you know, Simple Plan, like they did well because they they had the sort of like fart joke appeal, like <laughs> right, you know, like right. like that sort of like right. childish, fun, right. youthfulness to right. them. Whereas Ukelele Trio has that same sort of catchiness. Their songwriting's amazing. Uh, I, th- I think their vocals are, are really it's a very unique vocal set um, mm-hmm. but actually, incidentally, the lead singer of Alkaline Trio is now in Blink-182 but right, right, right here nor right, there right, right. Uh, but, uh, but their subject matter was consistently darker and deeper and yeah. a bit heavier yeah. so it was like these really playful melodies really playful songs but really kind of dark and deep and heavy and so i think that prevented them from mainstream success yeah but i do think they could have should have uh been bigger than what they are and they're still playing but they're just not that big. Uh,
0: right you know, well that, man, that's that's fascinating um i was i was not predicting you to say that yep. it's funny because i i do think you know you, you say like kind of fart joke mentality yeah. i think a lot of that was paved you know by you know bands like no effects and the gorilla yes. biscuits and things yes. like that who who really had that kind of sense about them, you know, and, and even um, a lot of the side projects, like if you were me first in the Gimme give Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So, but it was kind of tongue-in-cheek and it was, yep. you know, whatever. But you also have a lot of the influence of um, what I would say, like Midwest emo. Yes. Um, at the time, like the kind of late 90s stuff, which was um... A little bit deep, which was deeper, right? And so you have this exactly, exactly. So you know when you've got uh, you know that kind of punk influence, like that that West Coast punk influence, but with that kind of deeper midwest like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i mean you know you know i'm thinking of bands like like chamberlain and and the promise ring and you know all of those bands that like you know that had a huge influence there when you kind of converge those two i do i think that's that's what you get that's alkaline trio um really kind of uh, amalgamating those two those two styles and in
1: some ways there was this like what you know some have called sad boy pop punk emergence in like the 2010s where you had like the wonder years and uh story so far Yep, yep um and and so like those sort of bands that that ended up the menzingers even uh like that 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 did converge these things, Mm -hmm. but even still not to great commercial success, but we were the first to really do that. I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no,
0: that's, that's great. And I would, I would, yeah, that's, I, they probably should have been bigger. They're up there. Yeah. Yeah. What what about you, Tony? Um, so, so mine is, uh, is kind of an, an indie underground kind of a thing. Um, a band that really only had one, one record that, that really kind of did anything. Um, the band is the slip, um, and they released an album called Eisenhower, which was a fantastic album. It was very much a, um, a combination of like just good alt rock, but with like a lot of jazz influence hmm. um, really catchy, really good beats like I mean the the, the album itself is is really like a masterpiece. Um, but they came out of that um, that age of a lot of the instrumental pr- like primary instrumental bands like Don Caballero okay um, and, and a lot of that stuff that so they emerged kind of out of that to start to add some lyrical value Constancy, to their okay. yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to their music and then made this album Eisenhower Um which uh, a buddy of mine had referred and I mean, is and, it
1: like explosions in the sky but
0: with lyrics um, uh, probably uh, maybe not as as prog as okay. explosions in the sky um but it it has a like i said a, a lot of jazz influence okay. Interesting. um really but in a just a really solid album start okay. to finish um, that if I think if they would have been uh, around a little bit longer, they, they released the album and then kind of faded away a, gotcha. a bit, um, because I think they tried to go for some more success but just didn't have the 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 studio presence. I think they were on Conan. I think they were on the Tonight Show oh, all right. as all well right. at one point, um, but just didn't get it. Just didn't hook. It didn't latch gotcha. with with some people. I sometimes wonder if bands that like. Fuse
1: two styles because like sometimes that works really well. I mean, we look, like right. new metal, which like combined metal and hip hop, right? Right, and, right, like, right? Right? Created this whole thing, right? Versus like jazz and rock. If you're like
0: not rock enough for the rock folks, and, and you're, you're not, not jazz, jazz enough for the, for the jazz. jazz, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind yeah. of find yourself in no man's land because yeah. you, you you try to put it together, and and you know a lot. And a lot of bands have done that. You know, yeah. you, you see a lot of um motion within music of building off of. You know what other people yeah. have given them, I and I'm sure we could be here all day. Because um, as a students as students of music, yeah. you can see the progression of certain yeah. things that lead to um, others. But uh, but yeah, you know maybe that was it. Maybe they were just a little too uh, a little too rocky for the jazz crowd, and a little too jazzy, jazzy for the for rock crowd. crowd, and yeah. they were just like nope. And they kind of find themselves in no man's land. But yeah. yeah. Great, the great Slip. band, The Slip. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah, I'll yeah. have to check them out. Uh, yeah, it all was, right. it's, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. So, right. so there you go. Uh, if you're looking for something new to listen to, and and probably more so with Alkaline Trio, if you yeah. can find uh, the Slips album, then, then fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're one big album. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's some there's some stuff for you to listen to. Uh, hopefully, y'all can can get into those things and uh, uh, culture yourself with yes. some uh, <laughs> underrated bands. Yes. So, yeah, mm, quite. <laughs> As we stroke our beards yes. and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's all for this edition of Any Questions. That's going to do it for this edition of the Bold Speak podcast. Make sure to connect with us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, all at forward slash the bold speak. Learn more about the ministry and find other resources at www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you like, subscribe and share this podcast to stay up to date on the latest from Bold Speak ministries. Until next time, everyone keep living the gospel, live with hope and keep giving them the bold speak.